Bienvenidos and welcome to episode 11 of the Jacobin Sports Show. I am Matthew Miranda, joined as always by the variegated Jonah Birch. Follow Hello. us on uh, Twitter at Jacobin Sports. Remember, you can email us also any thoughts or questions you have about the program to jacobinsports at gmail.com. A lot of the mail recently has been very positive, so if you're the kind of person who feels like you have to bring balance to the universe, you can shred us there. Uh, Jonah, how are you doing? Oh, trade deadline day. Uh, it's been trade very exciting. Day. You know, I'm, I'm just trying to regain my the balance in my life after, you know, staying up all night refreshing Twitter, looking I for know, those well, Woj bombs. We have to talk about how your emotional state during the Marcus Smart rumors. Uh, we'll get to oh, that, that also. Tough. Let me ask but, you a question. Go ahead. Do you feel ahead. like you're more of a Woj person or a Shams person? I have no respect for Woj at all, um, so I guess by default I'd have to go to Shams. Why? Why Why so anti-Woj? He was a dick once, and then Spill once he the wasn't, yeah, yeah. there was one time Woj wasn't a dick, and he immediately like apologized for it. He said something political, um, and ESPN like, immediately cracked down on him, and he like apologized. I, I, I'd have to look up what it was. Woj said something once that like he was right on, and he got cracked down on it for it, and he like relented, and I feel like... Woj doesn't need ESPN. Like he's one of the the people there that I feel like you can say whatever you want, Woj, and like they're gonna they're not gonna you know kick you out. Um, yeah, but yeah. also he he's very transparent in terms of like when he has an in with certain organizations and he reports news on them, he will always add context to make them like to 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 polish up their image a bit. And if he's not affiliated with a team, he will like kind of like take shots or make them look. Um, worser, which is is maybe normal, but I don't know. He's just such a goofball to me. Listen, you're talking about first of all the political thing. When Woj got into it with, wasn't it Josh Hawley's office, the the senator from Missouri? Yes, who, yes, yes, yes. Uh, what are about you the NBA in China? Yes. And, uh, and Woj, he sent Woj an email demanding that Woj denounce the NBA. Now. Yes. There's a lot to say about the NBA's relationship with China. Obviously, when it comes from Josh Hawley, it's uh, the, the hypocrisy is oozing yes. out of his. <laughs> and so Woj told him to go fuck himself, and then he got yes, he did. That was that. it. Thank you. Yeah, yep. He did. Yep. I respect f bomb Woj more than Woj bomb Woj. I gotta say though, goes. I I I know what you mean about the transparent, you know, character of his reporting. I actually like yeah. that better. You know, he doesn't hide his agenda. It's You're totally right. If he has sources on a team, he clearly is protecting a team. You know, the at this point, I kind of feel like he has sources everywhere. So, uh, you know, there's not like a lot of anti-Woj uh, teams out there that are denying him the access he so desperately craves. Uh, but, I, you know, as opposed to all the other reporters who have no agendas... Right, you know, so I. To I me, might be like, worn out in a in a post Trump world. I might be just worn out from like, hey, at least that guy, you know, he's honest. Like that means nothing to me anymore. <laughs> like, like you're right. He is. He's not. But even there, I don't. I don't feel like he's completely transparent about it. But maybe that's not his job. He's you're not certainly transparent correct, like, about his transparency. You know. Yes, I, I, and I res I resent that. Now, is this dialectics? Is that, you know... <laughs> <laughs> we will get into the, the 400 level stuff maybe next week. But yeah. um, today we're just going to focus mostly on the NBA uh, trade deadline. Trades that were made, a few that were not, that were expected to. The deadline was about two and a half hours ago. Uh, we will talk a little bit about the trade deadline. And then maybe at the end, very brief, quick hitters about the um, NHL referee story with Tim Peel. And also... Um, Champions League quarterfinal matchups have been set, and we will get um, Jonah's impressions about that. Also, today's guest hates babies, ice cream, and kittens. They have no opinion on medical error for all, and they know why the caged bird sings, but don't understand why it does not yodel. Our guest, of course, is no one. Um, so let's just get right to it, Jonah. Obviously, the biggest trade of the day was JaVale McGee um, going to Denver, so... No, that's of course the. Hey, the, that's a big deal, you know. For <laughs> Denver, really, you know, they beefed up the front court today. Gives them a shot blocker. Gives them a, a rim protector who's had some championship experience with Golden State on the Lakers. Um, but let's Doesn't start. He, have with, a, he has a great Instagram show too, if I'm not mistaken. 
JaVale McGee. He I don't really... know, but that wouldn't... You could you could have any sentence begin with, doesn't JaVale McGee blank? And I'd be like, yeah, that sounds... Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, so you might be right about that. Anyway, continue. Um, I'm sorry, I interrupted. They're but... fine. Today, for the first time, probably since Dwight Howard was traded, the center of the NBA world was Orlando. The Magic uh, were putting up everyone and everything for sale, and they made a number of key moves. Um, the biggest... As far as we're concerned, obviously, is the magic trade with the Boston Celtics. The Celtics acquired Evan Fournier, a sweet shooting two guard, um, in exchange for Jeff Teague and a couple of second rounders. The magic are expected to waive Teague. Um, so it's not the only move Boston made today. Tradester Danny Ainge also sent um, Daniel Tice and Javante Green out in a three-way three deal that brought back uh, Mo Wagner and ex-Nick Luke Cornett. Jonah, how do you feel about your team after these moves? Especially since a couple days ago, there was a lot of talk about Marcus Smart maybe going down in a deal for uh, Fournier and Nikola Vukovic, who we'll talk about in a second, who went to Chicago. How do you feel about the Fournier trade? How do you feel about the Tice move, which looked like a luxury tax move? Um, Where is your team now as opposed to 24 hours ago? First of all, Marcus Smart was never getting traded. That was never going to happen. And, you know, this is the problem with Twitter is I get on Twitter and, uh, you know, I, I, I look around, I explore the space and, and I leave convinced that there is real, you know, some something real to these ridiculous rumors about Brad Stevens going to Indiana or Marcus Smart getting <laughs> traded, n- neither of which were going to happen. Uh, that was never going to happen. I you know of course I like the Fournier deal he he adds shooting playmaking he's a really good offensive player really efficient uh, and someone who you know they really have been missing uh, this year having um, someone another another player another wing another guard who can handle the ball and score uh, you know since Hayward left obviously in the offseason to go to Charlotte that was that that's been a real hole. So that was a nice deal. Now, they did use a lot of the trade exception they got from the Hayward side and trade. They still have 10 or 11 million uh, left that they could use in the offseason on that. But, I mean, that's a nice that's a nice deal. Now, the, the flip side is they have a real hole at the four position. I know in the modern NBA, we don't believe in positions anymore. We believe in positionless bas- basketball, you know, and, uh, you know, a key part of the the modern pace and space era. But when you're running out Shemi Ojale and Grant Williams in crunch time minutes and putting them in the corner and expecting them to hit open threes and defend and rebound, uh, you know, that's that's a real issue. And I do not believe that the Daniel Tice for Mo Wagner trade, Mo Wagner sounds like he should be like a 17th century composer. Doesn't he? Like, uh, you know... <laughs> <laughs> or 19th century. He sounds like century. a lot of things. He sounds like he a sounds lot like of things. I, you know. 19th century yeah, German composer. Yeah. He doesn't sound like the move. I, I I was surprised by this this trade by them because Tice is a nice player. Yeah. Um, not only in terms of what he's done for for them in the past, but just he seems like in a playoff series at some point you're going to want some Daniel Tice to go up against um, some of the bigger players on the best teams in the East. Um, I suppose this opens up more minutes for Robert Williams maybe at that spot. Do you feel... That he's, like, is this something you've been wanting? Is Robert Williams sure. ready for a bigger role? I, you know, so he, he is incredible to watch. By the way, to all the national TV broadcasters out, out there, we are no longer calling him Time Lord. That name, invented by weird Celtics Twitter, is now has now been rejected as kind of, you know, co-opted, as passe. by the You're same, taking back the word? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it was it, people were offended by the uh, misinterpretation of Time Lord. And now it's just back to Robert Williams. Uh, he's an amazing athlete. He's an incredible rim runner. He's an incredible rim protector. Uh, they have at times looked really good with him on the court. He's very young, but, he, you know, obviously he's made major strides uh, and has improved in so many facets of his game, including his conditioning. You know, not only as a defensive player, but uh, he is a... He's an excellent passer. He's an excellent passer from the top of the key. Now, he still makes defensive mistakes, right? Mistakes with with his rotations at times. And certain bigger players can still bully him a little bit, I would say, uh, down low. They have Tristan Thompson, 
uh, to deal with that. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, Daniel Tice has been excellent for them for the last two years. Deeply underrated player. By the way, one of Danny Ainge's great finds was Daniel Tice. He pulled him out of the German, you know, the German league, an undrafted free agent. He's been a major contributor, an excellent shooter, uh, just a, a very good defender, very underrated defender around the rim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this deal... I mean, Tice was a free agent after the season. This deal was partially made because he's going to leave, almost certainly get a bigger contract. The Celtics were not going to re-sign him. But more than anything, it was made, as you say, to make sure that they're under the luxury tax, right? They brought in Fournier. They probably want to bring in, uh, you know, someone from the buyout market. And there's a few players. I mean, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge just agreed to a, a buyout with the Spurs, but... Other players as well might be on the market. Otto Porter, who just got traded to the Magic in another deal I'm sure we'll talk about. And so, the, you know, the, the Celtics are worried that they're going to end up paying the repeater tax. And, you know, and the, uh, so they're trying to save some money. But, man, it's going to be a loss losing Tice. And, I, I you know, it's ob- obviously a downgrade going from our German to, the, to their German, you know, <laughs> to, to Wagner. And uh, and plus that name, so many negative connotations associated with that name, right? Am I right? Or History am I right? has taught us it's it's very risky to jump from one German to another. Never so trust no the Wagner. Yeah. How this one will go? Yeah. Um, we're gonna talk another trade, and to set this one up, and my feelings about it, um, I'm gonna turn to the world of international cinema. Jonah, are you familiar with the Norwegian zombie film Dead Snow? Uh, I I am not. I must say. Okay. Excellent film, very funny, um, and the sequel is even better. The, the sequel ends with a giant zombie brawl between undead Nazis and undead Soviet communist soldiers. It is something you should see before you die. It's incredible. Great. But yeah. as far as the relation to this topic, um, in Dead Snow 1, there's a character who serves in the Norwegian um, army, and at one point he talks about in his training, because avalanches are so common in the area that, where they are, he mentions that a lot of times when recovery crews dig up um, after avalanches, much to their horror, they will find a number of people who will have died, who have been digging their way out, but they've been digging the wrong way. They've been, been digging down instead of up. And the point, so they teach them in their training, if you're ever in an avalanche, the first thing you need to do is spit up what looks like up to you. And if, if it falls back down, then you know gravity is pulling. It'll show you which way to go. Should you go up? Should you go down? So a little life-saving lesson today on the Jacobin Sports Pod. Should Incredible. one of our many Incredible advice. Our many Norwegian listeners find themselves in an avalanche, please spit. But the reason I mention this, Jonah, is because of the Orlando trade with Chicago. Orlando traded um, All-Star Center Nikola Vukovic to the Bulls for Wendell Carter Otto Porter Jr. and a first-round pick this year, which is protected top four, and in 2023. I find this a weird move, kind of, for both teams, and the reason the the avalanche spit thing kicks in. I find it weird for um, Orlando because they just once again traded a center for a couple of forwards, and the Magic just seem to have a major fetish for forwards. I find it weird for Chicago because, and I was was looking at um, reaction by Bulls fans today, and a lot of the reaction was, just euphoria that the team did something. They were so concerned that nothing was going to happen. And I I know this as a Knicks fan. There are times where, like, any momentum just feels, okay, at least something's happening. So I feel good, whether it's good or not. Um, You just feel good that there's there's motion. And I feel like the Bulls fans are the people under the avalanche right now who are starting to dig, but they're digging the wrong way. They're just happy to be moving. But I find it weird that a team like the Bulls, who seem to be built around... Zach Levine, who's still pretty young. I think he's not more than 26. Yeah, yeah. Patrick Williams, their lottery pick last year, who I think is 19. Kobe White, who's very young. That they would, and they're sub-500, they're at the very bottom of the the play-in seeds, that they would cash in for a 30-year-old center doesn't seem to me to fit with their timeline at all. It depends on what your expectations. He makes them a better team. Like, he's a great player. And then for Orlando, as I said, like, just once again... They'll take a couple of forwards. I don't know how they make this deal and let Chicago protect the pick top four. You, I mean, you at least get it. I, I can just see the Bulls missing the, the playoffs and getting a top four pick, and Orlando gets nothing out of this. Were you surprised by this deal? Do you feel that it's any better for one team or the other? 
I mean, for Orlando, just what you're saying, the the way this makes sense to me is if it gives you a swing at one of the top top picks in this draft, right? Which now yeah. it doesn't because you protected the pick. And so I, the rumor is they're going to buy out Otto Porter, right? I mean, yeah. which makes sense. They don't need him, uh, obviously. So I, I, I really don't – I mean, if this is the best return they could get, clearly they see something in Wendell Carter, right, that uh, – you know, that's a little weird that when you have you have Jonathan Isaac, who's yep. not a franchise player, but his best position, he's he's now, especially with the trades they made today, he's probably their best young talent. Sure. And now you've brought in a guy at his position. I guess maybe they think competition is good, but it seems weird to me that that that's the move you go for, like a kind of redundancy at that position. Seems right. odd. Right, and you know, plus he's he's going to be blocking Mobamba. Which you know is going to be upsetting to everyone. Which is usually right? Obama's job. He's usually blocking <laughs> everyone else. That's right. Um, from Chicago's perspective, I mean, look, I, you know, Vucevic is going to look nice on that team, right? He's going to look. He he's going to look good with Zach Levine. It's interesting to think what they're going to do. I mean, maybe Vucevic and Markinen, Lori Markinen, their their power forward, can can play together. Uh, that will be that will be interesting to see. Obviously, he's had his issues. It is funny that a team that just a few years ago was known mainly for their utter lack of shooting, right? I mean, remember the Rondo, Dwayne Wade, Jimmy Butler failed experiment yes, in Chicago? Not not fondly, but yes. Now they are just loading up on every sweet shooting European big man, mm-hmm. uh, you know that that mm-hmm. is available. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, your question about the timeline is a good one, and um, whether for a team like that. I mean, obviously, at this point, their fans are impatient. You wonder, do yeah. the Magic have fans to get impatient? Are they impatient after the, you know, the what feels like a decades long rebuild? At least someone in Chicago cares, right? I think the thing with Orlando, and I don't think this move quite addresses it but when the magic traded howard they were bad for a few years and then there's that desire to like kind of like where chicago's at like oh can't we just be decent so they hire steve clifford who's like the doctorate of decency they become like this middling okay they play defense and don't beat themselves and they'll win 39 to 41 games a year and they've done that but the ceiling on that has kind of run its course and here you are and i i just feel I, like you were saying, I understand the move if it's okay. Take our all-star center, but if this backfires and you miss the playoffs, like we get the payoff. We get a high pick. I can see Chicago now getting in as the 7 or the 8 seed. Sure. Now that pick is like 16, 17. Orlando will have, I think, their own lottery pick anyway, but like, it just seems like... We'll contrast this later with Toronto. I feel like sometimes teams make moves because they've bought into the logic of like, well, you have to... You have to sell. You have to get something. You can't. And I, I think Toronto is an excellent example of a team that has shown the limits of that logic over the years and really benefited from not giving into it. Uh, we'll talk about what they did not do a bit more today. Um, the last Orlando trade was uh, with Denver in the West. Orlando acquired um, Gary Harris, rookie R.J. Hampton, and a protected first in a few years for Aaron Gordon. Um, the Nuggets also picked up, as we said, JaVale McGee. Aaron Gordon was wanted, Jonah, by everybody. Aaron Gordon was wanted by your team. Um, Apparently the Celtics, for whatever you can trust from Twitter, were the front runners as of yesterday. Do you you care that Aaron Gordon's not on your team? Do you think this changes Denver's potential? How do you feel? Aaron Gordon is very highly regarded, seemingly more by teams that he's not on, by the team that he is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so... Right, so that's the uh, that's the cynical take, let's say, you know that that uh, fan bases uh, of teams that uh, have have not had Aaron Gordon are are excited about him. Obviously, a very athletic player, someone who can do a lot of different things. Now, yeah, I, to be honest, I'm disappointed he's not on the Celtics. I think he would have raised their ceiling this year. I think if he's in the right situation. He, he could be super valuable for a team, right? And the right situation is a team that is not going to ask him to handle the ball. In fact, is going to tell him not to handle the ball. Stick him in a corner. Let him make uh, athletic plays and defend 
right? You know, defend multiple positions uh, and not mm-hmm. demand too much of him in terms of being, a, you know, an offensive creator. And I, I, I think Denver will do that, right? I, you know, I think that will um, probably he's going to look pretty good next to Jokic, and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and Jamal Murray. And now the Celtics were never going to give up Marcus Smart for him. Let's just say. And I don't believe the Celtics were ever the front runner for him. I mean, you know, it turns out Twitter full of lies. You know, don't you can't say that, trust Tony. it. Don't say no, that. no, it is. Don't say that. It is. It's I. Uh, you know, I feel really <laughs> let down. I, I've done nothing right. but but follow all the Twitter rumors the last uh, couple of days, and uh, none of them turned out to be true. I guess the question for me is: so this is the best deal again that Orlando could get? So they clearly. I mean, Gary Harris is someone who a couple of years ago looked like he was primed for a breakout, right? You know, and was shooting the hell out of the ball and was really important for, uh, for the nuggets a few years ago. I mean, I, you know, and I read now that still he was an important figure on, um, you know, on those nuggets teams, but he's been injured and his play has declined and he just has not been able to play the same role. So I, you know, is this a, this is the best return that you could get. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess that's the question. They're getting a future first round pick, but if you're Orlando and you're actually going into rebuild mode, don't you want more draft capital rather than a player like this? I I mean, that's my, that's my question. I assume Harris is there to make the salaries add up and maybe because Denver is done with him. As you said, he was a couple years ago. He's been there. Their core has been together a long time, and it's we're not that far removed from where Harris and Jamal Murray were kind of considered on the same level. If not, that Harris was maybe a little a little higher, and those days are gone. Um, he doesn't seem like a player Denver needed with Jokic there and Murray and the the growth of Michael Porter Jr. and now Aaron Gordon. Um, it's interesting. R.J. Hampton was a highly regarded prospect, especially the year before he was drafted. He fell in the first round, but people seem to think he's talented. I like this trade more, at least in the sense that they got a first-round pick four years from now, so who knows where Denver will be then, and it could work out. Um, Of all the deals they made, this was, I think, by far their best return, which makes sense. Um, Well, maybe it doesn't, because Vukovic, I don't know, Gordon's younger, so I guess it makes sense. Um, Denver now is very interesting. I'm I'm very interested to see, especially now with LeBron James out, apparently four to six weeks with a high ankle sprain. Denver is right behind the Lakers in the West for the three-seed. A couple other teams behind them are winning games also. Portland's not far behind. Dallas, sadly, has been very hot. I don't know where the Lakers are going to end up, but as far as Denver goes, if I'm the Suns, I don't want to play the Nuggets in the second round when they have... I mean, we'll have to do an episode eventually about Jokic. I keep looking up Jokic's numbers this year, and they are unprecedented across the board. an amazing basketball player. An amazing basketball player. The points, the rebounds, the assists. He's shooting. He's almost at 50-40-90. While he's scoring like 27-28 a game, 12 rebounds, almost nine assists. He's unreal. And and to that, you know, Murray is, is streaky but showed last year what he can do. Porter has really come along nicely this year. Yep. Um, I, I think Denver, in a West where I'm not sure about Utah, I'm not sure about Phoenix, Denver the last couple of years has been pretty good. Almost had the Lakers on their ropes early in that series before Davis hit the game-winning three. I think Denver made a nice move today yeah. um, to, to kind of replace and maybe upgrade what they had and lost with Jeremy Grant, who they tried to keep for big money, and he, he, he left and it's worked out for him. But I really like this move for them a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, they needed someone exactly like this, right? I mean, this is the perfect fit for them. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a smart play. You're absolutely right. They can really compete. I mean, the Clippers are underperforming, right? You know, yes. Yes. so I mean, this is a he's he. It's just a perfect um, player to compliment Jokic and Murray. I you know, streaky is one way to describe him. A little disappointing this year is another, but he struggled. Yeah, um, but he seems. I think recently he's turned it around a bit. Yep. We'll see. Interesting move. Uh, there was one more major move, and it gives us a chance to celebrate one of nature's just worst capitalists, so we'll take advantage of that today. Uh, the Miami Heat 
one, if you can call it a sweepstakes, the Victor Oladipo sweepstakes, acquiring the swingman from Houston for Avery Bradley, once a great Celtic, Kelly Olynyk, once a great Celtic, and a first-round swap um, next year. Uh, this continues, of course, Houston owner Tillman Fertitta's Luciferian fall to the dregs of the worst owners in sports, whereas the Pacers traded all the depot and got Karis Levert and a second-round pick. Houston, who could have had Levert and Jarrett Allen, end up with Avery Bradley and Kelly Olynyk. Just want to take this moment to point out that under Fertitta, who has been an unbelievably shitty owner to his laborers in the restaurant industry for years, since Fertitta took over the Rockets, they have gone 65 wins, 53 wins, 44 wins last year. This year they are on pace for their worst season since 1983. James Harden is gone, Chris Paul is gone, Russell Westbrook is gone, Mike D'Antoni and Daryl Morey. Those five people are all Hall of Famers. They're all gone. Clint Capella is gone, P.J. Tucker is gone, but Tillman Fertitta is still there fucking up the Rockets. Now, we're always hearing, Jonah, about all the trades Danny Ainge could have made. He's like your friend who gets high on the football field and wants to tell you about all their dreams that almost happened. Did you wish Oladipo had ended up a Boston Celtic? Could Danny Ainge have done something? Would it have mattered? You already have Jalen Brown. Would this have been depth? Would this have been unnecessary? It's Avery Bradley and Kelly Olynyk. Would you have taken Victor Oladipo for that kind of a deal? No, I mean, it wasn't going to work out. I mean, Fournier at least might resign, but Oladipo definitely wouldn't. I am upset right. that, uh, you know, that the Rockets handed. I When you said the, the world's worst capitalists, I thought you were going to go with Mickey Aronson, you know, of Carnival <laughs> Cruise Lines in the Miami. There's a lot of competition for this award. Or maybe Pat Riley, who, I, you know, maybe a capitalist isn't quite the way to describe him. He is, you know, of course, from from the part of the country I come from, the definition of evil, everything that we despise <laughs> in, in the world, and just got handed another W for for nothing, right? I mean, really, for, for very little. They give up very little to get Oladipo. Now, Oladipo yeah. wanted to go to Miami, but this really, you know, it makes them stronger. And you're absolutely right. The Rockets have been run into the ground. The lesson here, never... F with the nerds, right? I mean, Daryl Morey, you know, or the, uh, you know, Mike D'Antoni had that, that, uh, that smooth Southern accent, right? You know, he really, West Virginia uh, born. Is, is that right? Was he, is he from yes, West he Virginia? Is. The pride of West Virginia. Well, after Jerry West, the pride of West Virginia. It's so funny because those years he spent in Italy, you would have thought he would, uh, you know, mm -hmm. he would have gone a little bit more European or something, but nope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sounds very, but I, no, I mean, the, the Rockets are, I mean, God bless them. They just ended their 20-game losing streak. So that's, that's you know, a, a positive. They did. High times in Houston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, no, it was a real W for, for Miami. And I Miami should terrify everyone. Because I, the second half of the season and then the playoffs are Miami's time to shine. They struggled the first half of this year. But they are primed for another. I mean, they also got a... What's his name? Uh, Bielica from. Uh, uh, yeah, Naranja Bielica. Bielica, uh, who you know, I you know, this is really the Europeans are really testing my. Um, you got to look. He doesn't have the symbol on his C. That's the that's the thing. You can you have to look at their jerseys. Right. And he doesn't have the little the little C thing. Yeah, I mean they you know they have they have some nice pieces and I think they're primed for another playoff run. So in addition to these significant trades. Every deadline day is filled with moves that look insignificant, unless you follow those teams or those people are members of your immediate family. One such example, the New York Knicks did make a move today, not a tremendously exciting one. Uh, the Knicks were part of a three-team deal with Oklahoma City and Philadelphia. The Knicks acquired uh, wing Terrence Ferguson and Vincent, his French and his last Lafayette. name looks like... Thank Lafayette. you. Yeah, yeah. My fiance, I was trying to get my my fiance to, to teach me that French R because she always wants me. I I can do the Spanish R and she can't. I cannot do that French R. So thank you. Yeah, uh, no big deal. Center. You know that's a talent. And they also got um, <laughs> Philadelphia's second round pick this year. The Sixers, the big winners of the deal, acquired um, George Hill, who every year some contender picks up um, to have as a as a bench guard. 
Uh, and Austin Rivers, uh, Tony Bradley, and a couple of seconds go to Oklahoma City. Um, other quick little hitters, Portland. Portland with a nice, maybe a nice move. Portland picked up Norman Powell, who's having a tremendous career year for the Raptors. Um, almost 20 a game, very sweet shooting. They picked up Powell in an interesting historical note for Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood. This is interesting because 23 years ago, Portland traded Gary Trent Sr. to Toronto, the so-called Shack of the Mac. So every 23 years, a Trent is sent from Portland to Toronto, which is like Hades <laughs> Comet, but um, shorter hey. and probably less regular. Um, what would you, Any thoughts you have on either of these moves, Jonah? Portland is another team that should scare absolutely everyone come playoff time. I mean, a team that can shoot the ball like that. Yeah. I, Norman Powell is shooting a, what, huh? 43% or something from three. And, yeah, uh, he's you know, he's just an excellent offensive player. He's turned himself into an excellent offensive player. You know, and I, it makes sense what, what Toronto is doing. Also a team that, I don't know if they're going through a rebuild, but let's say a transition. And someone like Gary Trent, who's much younger, and, you know, he's a good player, uh, could be really valuable for them. But I, I thought Norman Powell was an excellent pickup for, for the Blazers. You know, yep. someone... Apparently half the league was interested in I mean, every report said that literally the number of teams who inquired about him was, were in the teens, like wow. almost half the league. Right. Um, so, yeah, very interesting move for Portland. Uh, Trent can really get hot, um, but yes. I think Powell is a, a real nice, real nice um, piece for them off the bench, I would assume. Um, in one of the more colorful trades of the day, the Clippers acquired, boy, just ex-Celtics are in the ether. The Clippers acquired Rajon Rondo from the Atlanta Hawks for Lou Williams, a couple of second round picks and cash. This, of course, reunites Lou Williams with the city that houses the Magic City Strip Club, home to the famous lemon pepper chicken wings that Lou was caught breaking quarantine to purchase last year. So we're always happy when um, Forbidden Love is given another chance to spring. Hey. Also, Chicago. Oh, let me ask you about that, Jonah. Um, Rondo, not a great year in Atlanta, but he seems to be, he's such a smart player. LeBron has said he's the smartest player in the league. And Rondo has really made a business model out of playing on kind of fringe teams, getting traded to good teams, helping them in the playoffs, getting big contracts then from kind of middling teams, and starting the cycle over. And he was able to parlay his play last year in the bubble with the Lakers to a good deal with the Hawks. Did not play well for Atlanta. But now there he is once again on a title contender. Does this move the needle for you at all with the Clippers? Do you think come playoff time, a guy like Rondo, who's probably better in a seven-game series than he is in an 82-game season, do you think he can make a difference? And do you think that that difference is worth the expense of, of losing Lou Williams? So first of all, let me say that I I am I am uh, you know I I'm so enamored with Rajan Rondo for the rest of my life. I love him so much, and his career has been fascinating. Like you said, you know. So the first eight years of his career, he was on one team, the Celtics. Really became one of the faces of that franchise. I mean, go back and look at some of his highlights from about 2009 to 2013. And he was one of the, the best big game players in the league. H had some really incredible uh, moments. Was the best player on that team in the playoffs a couple years towards the end of his time there. And since then, he has bounced around the league from one, like you say, middling team to contender, uh, you know, to uh, every year. Um, I think it would be a major mistake to underestimate what he can contribute. Uh, and clearly, that Clippers team needed a shakeup. I mean, Lou Williams has been a great, you know, six man for them for a very long time, and has much better numbers than Rondo this year. But clearly, they need something, right? I mean, it, you know, they're they're not headed anywhere, as is, and and something has to change. So I, you know, it's a it's a deal that to me makes a lot of sense for the Clippers. Lou Williams is getting older, right? I mean, his numbers aren't quite the same as what as what they once were. He's not the same player. And playoff Rondo is just a devastating force of nature, like a hurricane. Or, yeah, uh, even last year. And I think the Clippers yeah. need a catalyst. I think they have great players, but I don't think they have someone who just gets it all kicking and going. And I think playoff Rondo certainly will do that for them or can do that for them. 
Yeah. Uh, two more minor trades. Um, the Jazz, who are already the league's best three-point shooting team, were compelled to add another shooter from Toronto. They picked up Matt Thomas for a second-round pick. And lastly, the Chicago Bulls acquired Troy Brown Jr. Uh, from the Washington Wizards for Daniel Gafford and Chandler Hutchinson, who are both two former characters from All My Children. Um, let's get now to the significant moves that were not made um, today. There were a, at least three big moves that everybody kept waiting for and did not happen, the biggest being Kyle Lowry not being traded um, from the Toronto Raptors. Jonah, I have many thoughts about this non-move, but what about you? What did you think when you realized Lowry is not going to Miami, is not going to Philadelphia, where he would seem a perfect fit for his hometown team? There was some late... I think nonsense about him going to the Lakers when the Lakers have nothing to trade for anything. Um, how do you, what do you think of, of this decision to hold on to t- Kyle Lowry? My instinct is Masai Ujiri must know what he's doing. Uh, but actually I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I mean, clearly they just didn't get the offer that they were looking for. Right. And they were not willing to just take, you know, the best offer available. Yeah. I know Philadelphia offered, um, Apparently, Tyrese Maxey and picks, and the Raptors also wanted um, Matisse Thybul. Yeah, and and Toronto and Philadelphia wouldn't do it, which I'm fine with them doing that. I it's weird to me that just like with the non-Harden trade, where they wouldn't give up Maxey, um, you're you're rejecting the opportunity to add a still tremendous player in Lowry for Thybul, who like could be wonderful, or he could be Andre Roberson. Um, can't shoot at all, um, but I'm, I, I find this whole storyline very interesting because Toronto has kind of made a tradition now for a while, the last five years or so of, and I, I certainly am not going to credit the Raptors for being some paragon of, of a post-capitalist utopia, but I like the fact that the Raptors have, have kind of, in a few big spots, have shown that we're not just going to look at everyone as an asset and we're not just going to treat everything like a bottom line mentality or that we have to go with conventional wisdom, even when it has obvious shortcomings. For example, for three years in a row, the Raptors had um, Dwayne Casey coaching them to 50 win seasons and they would lose in the second round. This happened one year and then the next year and then the next year. And by modern NBA ideology, that's unacceptable. You're on the treadmill. Can't be on the treadmill. If you're not getting better, then you need to be getting worse. And the Raptors kept a good team together kept kind of making moves around the margins, kept developing their young players. And then when Kawhi Leonard was unexpectedly available in a trade, they were in position to make that move. They got a title out of it. And then even last season when Kawhi left, and again, conventional logic was, oh, well, you're not going to win. You might as well trade everybody and blow it up. The Raptors had a tremendous season. were very close to getting to the conference finals against the, they had to fight the Celtics in the second round and, and kind of push them to the took, limit. Took them to seven games. Yeah. yeah, I find the Raptors here are refreshingly the opposite of what we talked about earlier with Chicago, where Toronto understands that just moving around, just doing something to do something doesn't necessarily mean you're getting anywhere. So I respect the fact that Kyle Lowry is regarded as their franchise icon. He is regarded as the most important, popular, successful player in their in their history. And I think that means something. And I like that. It's interesting to me that when a, a Kobe Bryant or a Dirk Nowitzki retires with their team, oh, we all long for the old days when players had loyalty, i.e. no agency to go anywhere, and one player stayed with one franchise, and now you have a guy who clearly is not pushing to leave. Maybe he actually likes the city. Maybe he likes his life there. When they traded DeMar DeRozan, like there was a lot of talk even then about maybe they should get rid of Lowry because that's his BFF. I, I really respect the fact that, okay, you know what? He's a great player, and if we don't get something that we all agree is better for both parties, we're going to stay together. Good for you. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. I uh, Totally. And he is beloved there, right? I mean, he, if there's anyone who is a franchise icon, mm-hmm. you know, I, forget a franchise icon, a national basketball icon. He's a Canadian Canada. icon. Yeah. He is a Canadian icon. Yeah. Now, just to say... Uh, so they have been a player development machine and have oh, yeah. found all of these kind of hidden gems and mm-hmm. Siakam and OG Ananobi and Van Norman Vliet. Powell. 
Yeah, and Van Fleet. Also, right. Yeah. yeah. Who's by by the way is been great this year. I mean, right? He I has. mean, he's he has been. Uh, who's a great re-sign for them. People thought he was they were going to lose him in the offseason. And, mm-hmm. and they have been put in an impossible situation this year. Playing in Tampa, right? Yep. You know. Yep. No <laughs> like no fans. I mean, that that place is such a, a difficult place to play in Toronto. There is there are some some signs of of some issues, right, on that team. I mean, supposedly Siakam got in a big fight with Nick Nurse. Cross the line was the language used. Right. He's had some real struggles over the last year. He's their big money player right now. And if you are setting up for, again, not a rebuild necessarily, but a transition, you know, getting what assets you can can be important for that, right? But I take what you're saying. Right. You you know, is it really is it worth it to ship a franchise icon like that out of town? Even someone who was prepared to leave and would have understood, you know, unlike DeMar DeRozan. Right. And that was a left Mm. bad feelings. This I don't Mm -hmm. think would have. But is it worth it, um, you know, just for a middling return? Clearly, Toronto said no. Yeah. And I feel like at the end of the day, like, okay, if. If a franchise like Orlando is saying something's better than nothing, and Chicago is saying something's better than nothing, and Toronto is saying no, something's not always better than than nothing. I think I trust the Raptors right now more than those other two. Fair enough. Uh, two more non moves that um, I thought were very striking. Nick fans in particular roll over this one. Lonzo Ball was going to New York. He was going to Chicago. He was going to everywhere apparently and he went nowhere and I tweeted about this earlier I find it fascinating um, I was talking to someone recently about uh, the NCAA and its exploitation specifically of college athletes and the weird double standard where like you can go to college as a talented musician and still make money or a talented um, artist and still make money but not as an athlete like you're, you're beholden to the NCAA and I'm struck at this idea, um, you know, if there had been a salary cap in pop music and the Beatles in 1963, like, had to get rid of George Harrison because they couldn't afford to pay Lennon, McCartney, and Harrison. A, that sounds absurd. And B, it would be society's loss because we would have missed everything the Beatles could have done. In the MCU, whether you like comic book movies or not, if... If Marvel had only been able to keep Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Evans, but had to get rid of the other one, you wouldn't have had the same, you know, product that you did from having everyone together. But for some reason in sports, so the New Orleans Pelicans have done an amazing job of acquiring exciting, complementary, young talent. And because of capitalist logic, now in the NBA, if you have a lot of good young talent, that sucks. Because you have to get rid of them because you don't want a capitalist having to pay everyone what they deserve. So Lonzo Ball, who's young, who is not you know a ball a ball demanding ball, st- he, he fits perfectly. He's throwing Zion seventy foot alley oops every day. He's improved as a shooter. He can defend. He's done everything you would want to happen. So naturally, his team is looking to get rid of him. And I don't think they kept him because they saw the light. I think they kept him because they didn't get the offer they wanted and, you know, they'll go to war with this. But I, I, I'm so turned off as a fan, even as a fan whose team now has a better shot at Lonzo because the Knicks didn't have to trade assets to get him. They could just make a run when he's a restricted free agent. But it disgusts me that, like, we're at a point now where, okay, you don't want too many good young players because the billionaire can't afford it. I, I'm very bothered by that. I, so, first of all, I love this rant. And you could think of all the teams, the, the, the classic teams that would not have been able to stay together because of the salary cap and the, the way it's set up right now. I mean, you think about, forget the, the, you know, I won't even talk about the Celtics. I know people are sick of that. But uh, the bad boy Pistons, would that team have been able to stay together given the, the realities of the salary cap now if they didn't win immediately? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, probably not, right? You know, it took them some time, and yeah. you you could think of all kinds of teams like that. 
And and I'm with you. I mean, it's essentially designed to the 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 way the cap is structured to protect owners from their own stupid decisions. And maybe they should just make better decisions, right? With their money. That's what the rest of us uh, hear. If you open a restaurant yeah. and, it, and it falls apart, nobody cares that's about right. now that's the market. Now, just to say, I'm not sure Lonzo and the people around him want him to be in New Orleans, right? I mean, that's no. got to be part of the issue, uh, it, yeah. right? I mean, I mean, who knows how much his what his father says really matters? But his father is like, get him out of there. Yep. We don't we don't like the way Stan Van Gundy is using him, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I think obviously wants him to be in a a bigger market, maybe like New York. I think he, I, I think he's gone. I don't think you're going to see him come. I don't think they want to pay him what he's going to get, and I don't think right. that I don't think he's going to be there. He's going to be on a bigger team, uh, I think next year, which I think is sad. Even if he comes to my team and I'll be happy, I think it's sad that you have a P. Like you were saying, like like all these great teams in the past, not even the ancient past. Now we're not talking before free agency. If the Bulls had been paid what they were worth. The Bulls were able to be a great dynasty because Scottie Pippen was underpaid forever. Yep. Because of one bad business decision he made early in his career. And because Michael Jordan, for most of his career, was criminally underpaid versus what he brought in because he made so much in commercial endorsements, he was okay with it. Um, but you don't get Pippen, Jordan, and Rodman if everybody is actually paid what they deserve with a salary cap. Um, That's right. The last basketball piece, and then we'll just... Um, Talk about two quick points in other sports, so we can we can sound unintelligent about that. Also, um, Andre Drummond, um, the Cavaliers center, who is clearly the NBA's premier rebounder, and yet rebounding not worth what it used to be, um, was not traded. Is expected to be bought out. A number of teams are interested in him, but Chris Herring today had a very interesting piece at Sports Illustrated about the de-emphasis of rebounding over the years in the NBA. And this bizarre situation where it happened to Roy Hibbert a few years ago. If you remember, there was a, a brief spell where Roy Hibbert was an all-star, an all-defender, like a big deal. And then the league changed very quickly and suddenly Hibbert was antiquated and was out of the league by the time he was 30. Uh, Andre Drummond has been making $30 million a year almost for a while now. Premier rebounder, 15, 16, 17 a game. Nobody was willing to trade anything of value for him. Do you think Andre Drummond still matters, for example, for the Celtics? Like, if the Celtics can pick him up in the buyout market and you have a team that needs size, do you think Andre Drummond matters in 2021? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I I think the Roy Hibbert comparison is very interesting. My sense was that Roy Hibbert got run out of the league because people felt like he was not going to be able to handle the pick and roll. That He was going to get pick and roll to death. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that he could not chase guards around the perimeter at all. Now th- th- it's going to be an issue with Andre Drummond, but he's a, he's a, in some ways a more versatile defensive player than that. Right. Or am I wrong? Do you, do you think I'm right about that? I don't think that he is as out of contention as a defender as Hibbert was, but right. Drummond has, I've never seen this before. Like Drummond Drummond used to be, you know, he can be he can be a surprisingly good passer at times, or at least unselfish. He really, to me, I see him a lot against the Knicks. Um, he's kind of fallen into like he rebounds. That's it. He's shooting yeah. very poorly for a seven footer. Um, who you and and again, he's been on Cleveland and they're not great, and maybe that's been part of the problem. But he doesn't shoot well for a seven footer. He's not a great shot blocker, as you might think that he right. would. He's an enormous human being, but he's not really a, a, an intimidator. He's a great rebounder. He's a great offensive rebounder. But I don't think Drummond is... He's not anywhere near where Hibbert was and on the def- sure. as a defender. And I think pick and roll-wise, like... I, 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 I don't know what to make of him anymore. He's very weird. I mean, it's funny because he always had his limitations. For a $30 million player, you yeah. couldn't play him in crunch time because he can't hit a free throw to he save cannot, his life. He cannot. He cannot. Right? Uh, offensively, he's a one-dimensional player. He can be very dominant against smaller players. But just to say, yes. he's gotten run out of the gym at times against other great centers. Right? I mean, Joel Embiid has handed him his lunch money several times. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. If I'm remembering that correctly. You are and absolutely. So if, he's, if he can't, he, you know, if the point is not that he can go toe-to-toe with someone like Joel Embiid, what is the point of Andre Drummond? I mean, Celtics fans, some of them, I would say the less informed types, have been jonesing for Andre Drummond for years. And I'm like, why? He's a mediocre player making $27 million a year. I think the name and the salary conveys to people who don't watch him regularly, like you're saying, that you remember the name. You remember, you you know the check, you know... You know the rep, but the game is not that. His game is not. Yeah, that. and he's right, right. And I, once in a blue moon, he'll look still like a dominant player. But I, you know, it's there's a reason Cleveland didn't want him going forward in his plans. They'd rather just cut bait yep. than uh, than try to trade him. Would I be okay with the Celtics signing him? Sure, as long as you know Brad Stevens can can say to him, "There's going to be some playoff series." Where you're just not going to play. Yep. Right. I mean, that's absolutely, crucial. especially against the big teams in the East. Um, and Bede would eat them alive, like you said. Brooklyn's not going to play DeAndre Jordan that much at center in the playoffs, and Milwaukee's probably going to oh. go Giannis at the five. And you don't want Andre Drummond out there trying to keep Giannis Antetokounmpo in front of him, or getting or getting caught in pick and roll, like you said. Right. That's right. Yep. All right, Jonah. Two non-NBA points. Um, the Champions League quarterfinals were announced, which is tremendous excitement, especially for us because our teams don't suck, so they're still in it. We have Manchester City against Borussia Dortmund. We have Liverpool against Real Madrid in the the has been bowl. We have rough, Paris Saint <laughs> Paris Saint Germain against um, Bayern Munich and Chelsea against Atletico Madrid. Uh, we'll start with your team, Jonah. Liverpool, yeah. not going to win the league. I don't think they're in any other cup competitions at this point. This is their shot yeah. still at a big trophy. And and really, the only way they're going to be in the Champions League next year probably is to win it this year. Real is not what they used to be, but they're still Real Madrid. How do you feel about Liverpool ending up in the draw with the Kings of Spain? First of all, I am not willing to concede that Liverpool can't finish in the top four in the Premier League and get back in the Champions League ne- next year. I, I would say that it's still open. They're definitely not. Obviously, no one's going to catch Manchester City. But uh, I, to be honest, I'm. I think I and most Liverpool fans were reasonably happy with this draw because so you know Real has its uh, obviously its pedigree. As a team right now, it has its limitations. Yep. And more importantly, this side of the draw, I mean, if they win, then, you know, in the semifinal, yep. they would it would be the winner of Porto or Chelsea, and you avoid Man City and Bayern or Paris Saint-Germain until the, you know, until the final, or I guess Borussia Dortmund. But, you know, really, those are the, the three teams that would really terrify me. And obviously, you know, Bayern and, and Manchester City, Manchester City probably particularly are the favorites right now. So uh, avoiding them until a one-game final for all the marbles, mm-hmm. uh, when anything could happen, mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, I think that's a, a, a desirable uh, draw to be in. I would much rather face a Porto or a Chelsea in the semifinal should Liverpool get get that mm-hmm. far. Absolutely. So in the one of the other quarterfinal matchups is a rematch of last year's championship between uh, PSG and Bayern. Bayern has had, by their standards, kind of a listless Bundesliga campaign, but they're still one of the dominant teams in uh, world football. I think that uh, I'm still going to go with Bayern until I see it proven otherwise. Um, PSG, very talented, um, has a lot of explosive talent, especially scoring, but I feel very much like until I see... Until I see them beat Bayern, especially over two legs, I'm, I'm just going to trust uh, that Bayern Munich will somehow find a way to get it done. Um, we also have Chelsea versus Porto. Sorry, I, I said Atletico Madrid because I'm apparently stuck in the 2000s when Spanish teams were in every game. Uh, Chelsea has been incredibly successful under uh, their new coach, who I always want to call Thomas Tuchel, but I'm not sure if that's how you say it. <laughs> yeah. um, they're playing against Porto. I have no idea what's going to happen in that game. Ah, Chelsea's going to win. Chelsea's going to win that. Probably, probably, because they're still evil in the world, and I feel like 
Chelsea winning a Champions League during a pandemic is just kind of. I feel like I've seen that movie, and this will happen. With um, the villains, and, with, you know, yeah. Yeah, like Ab- Abramovich, like, you know, sprouts a pair of horns, and I don't know, some weird shit happens. Right, right. But in the, in the game of angels, obviously, between the divine Manchester City, Sky Blues, and Dortmund, I know how I feel. I am nervous, as dominant as City has been. Um, one of the few critiques of Pep Guardiola is that he can overanalyze... Um, these kinds of, of two-leg matchups, and Dortmund has Erling Haaland, who is one of the premier strikers in the world, one of the players that is on City's radar to replace Sergio Aguero this offseason. Jonah, what do you make of this matchup between a City team that has been unbelievable now for months, but it is just, like you said before, anything can happen in one game, anything can happen in one leg. What do you think of um, City and Dortmund? I, you know, I am just terrified that city is are just going to walk to the double basically right you know and that, we want the yeah. quadruple jonah We're yeah, not yeah exactly for two. yeah well you know i <laughs> the, know the, right the fa cup is you know something <laughs> many people care about uh but yes. if you no know, if you're a team like city and uh, you know they are just so unbelievable uh right now and um you know and i and i'm worried that a, a, a bit by like uh, Byron did last year. They're just gonna smoke everyone and you know drive them out out of the building, and mm-hmm. um, you know so that's probably the worst possible scenario there. Now, I you know I gotta say, Borussia Dortmund, another player development machine. It doesn't feel like they have much of a shot here, does it? I mean, them and and Porto are kind of you feel like they are the team's least likely. Uh, to walk away with this with a win, which almost certainly means that they are somehow, they're both you know, win. yeah, they're going to end up, you know, they're it's going to be Porto and Dortmund in the finals. In the final, <laughs> you know, subverting all of our expectations. So that's where I'll put my money. I imagine okay. City fans might be the only soccer fans in the world who are nervous about City's position right now because they've only made it to the semifinals of this competition once. Um, since their you know renaissance and and I, I I'm never going to question Guardiola but it's the only thing and and like you said City is not conceding any goals and they're still scoring a bunch and they're just if this is if it's ever going to happen it seems that this is the year to do it but I don't feel confident I feel very nervous at every stage because I feel like if they go down one nil in the fiftieth minute like that could be trouble. Just because they haven't been in that position almost at all, they're not just winning. Like they're not. They're never trailing. They're always ahead, always. So, a team like Dortmund that you know if they can if they can defend and like they have a, a tremendous striker, you know just a, a well timed counter and you win the first game one nil, all the pressure in the world for a team that now hasn't had any pressure. I don't even remember the last time City played a game with pressure. That could be trippy, but. I feel like other fans probably feel better about City right now than even City fans do. I'm, I'm excited for Jed and Sancho to uh, to come to Liverpool uh, this summer. By the way, but uh, you know, City Academy stud. <laughs> All right, right. Yeah, I heard, yeah, that would be exciting for them too. I would like to see. I, I I do not hate Liverpool like I hate United and Chelsea, and I would like to. I like Liverpool being good and being like a rival to City. I'd like to see them make some some good moves and be like right back where they were next year. I mean, they'll, they'll um, be better next year just through health, but you know, presumably. yeah. And fans, I feel like and fans, yeah. I feel like they probably suffer more than other teams having an empty stadium. Lastly, and I know people are tired of all our NHL coverage, but we have to get into it. The national hockey league fired referee Tim Peel after an incident that happened in a game. He officiated between the Nashville predators and the Detroit Red Wings. For those of you who don't follow hockey, which is probably everyone who just heard me say that, uh, in the second period of a game between Nashville and Detroit, um, the Predators have a forward, uh, Victor Arfidson, and he was called for tripping uh, a Detroit defenseman, John Merrill, even though replays showed that Merrill had flopped um, to get the call. The referee made the penalty call from kind of around center ice, and a couple minutes after the call was made, the Nashville television uh, broadcast caught him on a hot mic saying, quote, it wasn't much, 
but I wanted to get a fucking penalty against Nashville early. I feel like in any other... I feel, first of all, Jonah, like... We know referees are human beings. We know they're subject to psychology. We know in the NBA that superstars get certain calls because of psychology. And a call that your team will get at home, they won't get on the road because there's human psychology at play here. But I also feel like because hockey is so unpopular relative to the other major sports in America that this isn't as big a story as it would be if you caught Scott Foster on a mic telling someone, I wanted to get the Knicks for a fucking foul early, or if you caught an NFL official saying, I wanted to get, you know, the Patriots for... Is this a huge deal, or is this just a peek behind the curtain at what we already know is happening anyway? There's definitely some parts of North America where this is going to be the lead story, right? You know, on uh, sports sports news. I gotta say, for years, anytime an NBA ref has pissed me off, I've started screaming Donahue at the TV. You know, (laughs) like uh, Tim Donahue... The disgraced, corrupt, uh, you know, former NBA referee who was jailed for his malfeasance gambling on games and almost certainly throwing them. Now I feel like I'm going to start yelling Tim Peel, you know, <laughs> even if this is what you were thinking. And, I, you know, I have no doubt that other refs, if maybe a little less brazenly, do things like this all the time. What in the world would ever possess you to say it? Forget on a mic, you know, and obviously did not realize he was being broadcasted, but just keep that shit to yourself, right? I mean, what are you doing? (laughs) Every time I see a movie where someone in a dystopia, like, has to know they're being recorded, but they say something that they shouldn't, and then they get... I just saw this last night. There's a Brazilian show called 3%. And this character is in a place where, like, he's he's one of the rebels, and and he's undercover, and he's saying something that he clearly should not be saying, in an area that he knows has to be recorded, and he gets busted. And I'm always so angry. It doesn't even matter what's right, right. happening. I'm just like, you know better. And I feel like, same thing like you're saying here. <coughs> I suppose the the obvious solution is just don't hire anyone named Timothy for any job anywhere. And you don't need to worry wow. about this sort of. I like it. I look I like forward. To, I look forward to hearing from all our Timothys. Um, <laughs> I think that is it for this week's episode because I am literally losing the ability to comprehend the English language as this episode goes on. So I'm going to call it. This is a mercy rule. The game is over. <laughs> and look out in the next Jacobin. Um, the next Jacobin, what do you call now physical issues? Yeah, copies. The yeah, next issue, the next copy, thank you, of Jacobin will have um, an album review that I wrote of James Dolan's latest, um, well, not latest anymore, it's kind of older now, but uh, the, the most recent album release from JD and the Straight Shot. I am hoping that it's a bit of a different review than people might expect. I, I can't wait but for if this. You are wondering, if you are wondering, you know what, just read it. If you're wondering, read it. Support your local socialist magazine. Pick up a copy. Read it. It's worth it. It's short. And if you like it, you're welcome. And if you don't like it, email the show at jacobinsports at gmail.com and tell me why you don't like it. And we'll pick it up on the air. Um, Let me ask you this question. Are you worried about being banned from Madison Square Garden forever because of a negative (laughs) review of uh, uh, JD and the Straight Shot album? My fiance literally said to me as I was riding, and she's like, "All right, is this gonna like fuck up our cable?" And I'm like, "No, we don't have, we don't have, we're not there anymore. We're spectre. You can't touch us." Um, but I do wonder. Like, I a couple years ago, I had a, a press pass to cover. Phil Jackson was speaking to. Um, I'm sorry, it wasn't a press pass. Phil Jackson was speaking to a group of season ticket holders before the 2015 draft when the Knicks took Porzingis. And a reader of a site that I write for gave me their their access to get to the event. So I was there, and I'm, I'm taking my notes, and I'm writing everything down. And the whole time, I'm wondering, like, I'm not a season ticket holder. And, like, if they Google anything I've written about James Dolan, like, I might have a problem here. Like, I need to... Security is going to come, and they're going to tase you. As they and, did yeah. as they did the other day when a fan was thrown out of the garden for wearing a shirt that said, Ban Dolan. Um, which Terrible. just want to point out, the NBA wants you to call the owners governors as if they're publicly elected officials. They are not. They are capitalist feudal lords 
who in this case security told the fan we're not the government this is a private you know basically space and we have a right to decide what's so don't call them fucking governors they're owners governors. read the review of the owner of the new york knicks and his little playtime fantasy camp musical band sounds good the jacobin sports show is produced by connor gillies uh, remember you can find us on twitter at jacobin sports we continue to grow please help us grow more that is it for this week's episode. We will see you soon. Enjoy your weekend. Love you all. Good night. Mm-hmm.